This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From our living rooms, as we practice social distancing, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Evan Woolley, Bryce Woolley, and Bill Woolley from Team Double Jeopardy. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots for frequent updates. And if you like what you hear, we encourage you to tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have 10 news items for you today. First up, quite possibly the biggest news story of the year, Byte Force will not be competing on the 2020 season of BattleBots. In an announcement on Facebook, Byte Force Captain Paul Ventimiglia said the team is skipping this season largely due to COVID-19, but is looking forward to competing in the 2021 season. He writes, quote, We are currently working on enhancements that will result in either a new version of Byte Force or a completely new robot. Separately, Paul is selling a fully functional version of ByteForce starting at a minimum bid of $22,600. The winner will receive a robot, radio, wiring, and a full set of batteries, spare parts, motor cover options, and two main defensive configurations, a fixed wedge, and four wedgelets. The winner will get the machine, but won't be able to legally call it ByteForce as the robot's name and rights are owned by BattleBots. And finally, Paul has set up a physical address for fans to send the team snail mail to, P.O. Box 6991, Santa Clara, California, 95056. I am, so there, there was just so much news that came out of this team this week. I was hoping we could break it down uh, one by one. So first off, uh, the news that Bite Force will not be competing this season. Kyle, I know that you have a lot of thoughts about this. Uh, lay it on us. What do you think about this? All right, so... I've been giving a lot of thought to the internet discussion. The internet discussion is if Bite Force isn't coming, this is a quote unquote asterisk season, right? It's not a real championship if the champion doesn't come. But that's just not the case. This isn't like boxing or MMA. You know what I mean? Like, this is a tournament to see, not a tournament to see who gets to fight the champion. This is like a tournament to find out who is the champion of that tournament. So mm. it's not an asterisk season. If anything, you could call it like the bubble championships, like the NBA, right? Right. But, um, you know, I don't think it's going to take away from whoever ends up coming on top of this field. There's some very good robots in this field. Obviously, it's not as stacked as the 2020 field that we were hoping for, but there are some killer robots in here. Um, so I, I'm very excited to see what happens. I'm very excited to see who ends up coming out on top. And quite frankly, a season where we don't just assume Bite Force is going to win, pretty cool. 
Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you, you know, like we, we live in BattleBots internet and uh, one of the most annoying things that I read as part of BattleBots internet is, you know, um, it, sure, you know, XYZ bot won in 2020, but we'll never know if they could have bet, beat ByteForce, right? You know, like right. that, that's the most annoying thing that I'm going to, <laughs> I know I'm going to see, um, like as soon as the season wraps up, um, it's, 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 it's like a, it's like the worst take. It's like so very basic. Um, my, my hope is that the very first episode of the 2021 season, we see Bite Force take on the 2020 champion. Like just get it out of the way, just see what happens. Um, I, I think, I think that that's, that's gonna be pretty interesting, pretty crucial. Um, I, I will say that um, in preparing for this week's show, I recent I, I re-listened to our recent interview with Paul, and um, you can hear in that interview that he's kind of telegraphing like some some really important things. So like one is the team is incredibly safety conscious, yeah. and the team is is pretty conservative, you know, when it comes to safety. And when you're talking about competing in the midst of a global pandemic, there's this really important risk reward equation that happens. The upside is that you win the giant nut and the downside is that a builder gets sick with COVID. And like, that's a pretty, pretty serious kind of equation. And everybody, every team needs to make that decision for themselves, like where that equation makes sense. Um, and you know, that the organization, the BattleBots organization is doing everything they can to keep people safe. Um, but for some teams, just that, that math is not going to check out. So I totally, totally respect Bite Force's decision to sit this, this one out. There's no such thing as a completely safe event. You know, like we saw, um, in Connecticut when they, when they had the most recent, yeah, Norwalk Havoc. When we saw that, they did a great job, like seriously, very impressive how they kept everybody apart from each other. Even the commentators were masked and six feet apart. They did a wonderful job. I loved watching that live stream. I was like, wow, these guys are doing a fantastic job. But that's not a zero risk event. You know, there's still interaction with other humans and you're gonna you're gonna risk something there. Um, you know, if you're putting four hundred some odd people into a warehouse, there's a risk. Doesn't matter how good of a job you do. I want to move on to um, Paul's decision to put up one of his fully functioning robots sale this is absolutely the most important <laughs> robot sale of all time probably um chris i know that you're super interested every single time a robot comes up um you know thoughts on buying like pretty much the top of the sports like the premium robot um that's really ever been <laughs> been made available oh, yeah before we talk about yeah bite forest going up for sale i would first like to just get out there that we at Behind the Bots uh, have been invited to compete in the 2020 season with our very own bot, uh, Bot Force. <laughs> we're, we're currently looking for a donation of about $22,700. Uh, so, hey, if you're out there, you like our show, you like tuning in, uh, tell a friend, give us $22,700, and I promise you we'll be bringing a, a top four bot for the 2020 season and uh you know we'll, we'll we'll work on spare parts and stuff i'm sure but uh but we're, we're going we're gonna go all the way 
It would be incredible if we won the giant net with literally zero experience. <laughs> we just <laughs> arrived with $23,000 cash and uh, yeah, we're just able to cruise to victory. That would be a real testament to, uh, to how well built Bite Force is if, uh, if four dopes like us could figure out how to win an entire season with it. <laughs> I, I know that we were strategizing, like, how, how could we come up with $23,000? Um, and I think, you know, like, we, we have about 230 listeners. So if we, we got 100 bucks from each of them, you know, maybe we could put their names on the, this, this, uh, this machine and uh, purchase Bite Force for ourselves. That, that'd, be, that'd be pretty awesome. Time to start that Patreon. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're launching a Patreon tonight. What was that? <laughs> yeah. Well, we know what this is. This is friend. This is a gift from our friend Curtis. Oh my god! Oh, that's that's obnoxious. That that sounds terrible. No, this sounds fantastic. It sounds like it came from heaven. Thank you, Curtis. It didn't um, even. I mean, you've had that for like what three days now and you put it right into the next episode after we well done, well done I mean, guys. you know i was waiting for the right moment was that the right moment i don't know but it seemed like the time and it seemed like something that had to be done and i don't have control over it <laughs> Lindsay, how often are you pressing that button throughout the day and be honest Okay, so to be honest, to be very, very honest, Chris has um, um, been kind of sick the last few days, not COVID related, but still like, you know, having a tough time. So out of respect to my fiance, I have not pressed the button until now. <laughs> but it's been very difficult because all I want to do is just run around the house and press it and scream and uh, go wild. But I haven't out of uh, out of respect. So I hope you appreciate that, Chris. Understood. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. So uh, so we're gonna launch our Patreon tonight, and the uh, the minimum <laughs> minimum monthly amount is gonna be a hundred dollars. <laughs> so we're hoping to get uh, two hundred thirty people. That'd be great. Let's get the amount at twenty two thousand six hundred. Yeah. One Patreon. Right, right. We just need one. Well, um, five too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, and then finally, you know, this decision to uh, to open up snail mail to uh, to bite force. I love this idea, um, Lindsay. Thoughts on on what what we should send Paul in the mail first? I mean, I've always wanted a pen pal, so this seems like the perfect opportunity. Um, but you know, what could we send him? I don't know. We have some uh, behind the bot stickers. Okay. Uh, we have stickers of my dog's face. He might like some of yeah. those. They're holographic. Nice. Um, I don't know. I could send him plans for my shed that I'm going to build. <laughs> oh, he is very into sheds. Yeah. Guys, we have the obvious answer here. We're combat robotics fans, and we now have a snail mail address for a robot builder. We need to send him detailed drawings of how he can improve his robot <laughs> oh, oh bite force there's no saving that bot <laughs> i i was thinking i was just going to print out uh, all of the chomp memes that i make and post anonymously to the internet and uh just send them straight to him in the mail oh so that's you Yes, I'm the I'm the number one creator of chomp memes online. <laughs> I was just gonna make him a progressive rock mixtape. Ooh. Pretty good. 
You can mail them chocolate chip cookies. Man, the, the this is really ridiculous. this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> the opera, uh, the the options are endless. An update now to a continuing story as another 10 bots confirm that they will be competing on the 2020 season of the show. In alphabetical order, those bots are Axolotl, Bloodsport, Copperhead, Fusion, Gemini, Ghost Raptor, Mad Catter, Slapbox, Sub-Zero, Tantrum, Tortozoid, and Valkyrie. I want to highlight a couple stories from this list. First up, the mysterious new robot Axolotl, which is being built by a team of 11 high school and college-age students. Southern California-based Team Uh-Oh Robotics this week launched a GoFundMe page in hopes of raising $10,000 toward their build. They included a rendering of their robot, which appears to have four forks on the front of the robot, feeding their opponents up into a drisk. The axolotl, of course, is a type of underwater salamander best known for its regenerative capabilities. If it loses a limb in battle, it's capable of regrowing that limb by itself. We'll include a link to the team's GoFundMe in this week's show notes. Thoughts on axolotl? I love this bot. I love every single bot that uh, you know is pink. <laughs> I think I think more bots should be pink. Um, I think it looks pretty cool. You know, um, I, I'd love to to get your thoughts on on the design and, and this this uh, this drisk. Uh, a Good job making Drisk happen. The Woolies are trying to make it happen, and we are 100% on board here at Behind the Bots. Um, B, why does it have regenerative parts? Like, that's a cool gimmick, but it seems gimmicky. You're talking about the actual ancient salamander that lives in Mexico or uh, the robot? No, this robot, right? It's got regrowing parts. It would be incredible, like, if they... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this robot actually could regrow itself, you know? I thought that was the whole point of this bot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you knock off a wedgelet, and then the wedgelet just, like, you know, grows right back out the front. Could be. Could be. It takes eight months, and it's very painful. <laughs> <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, this looks like a really cool little bot. I like its design. It's super low to the ground. The wedgelets look like they're really good, uh, really floor scraping. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's yeah. really cute. Moving, moving on to Tortozoid. I know that we all got a chance to uh, to check out the Tortozoid website uh, this week. Um, I, I, I would caution that I'm not sure. I, I you know I'm not sure if they're actually in. They claim that they're in, um, but this website uh, has like a link to a sponsor packet. They're trying to raise some money for the robots. This is a Canadian team. Um, Toronto, right? How yeah, how how would you describe it? I'd I'd love to hear your description of of what Tortozoid is. What so Tortozoid is, is a four wheel drive vertical disc spinner. Okay. With a very special armor package, Lindsay. How would you describe this armor package? Okay, so I don't I don't actually know that I fully understand this technology because it's above my pay grade. Um, but it seems as though there is some sort of inflatable bag on top of the bot, uh, infla inflatable pouch perhaps, that is uh, lined or, or coated or stuck to, I'm not, I'm not really sure, uh, Kevlar. And so um, this Kevlar inflatable armor uh, will give them an advantage in some way um, <laughs> as they fight, you know, other battle bots. And um, it's certainly nothing like I've ever seen before. <laughs> it's like upside down hovercraft <laughs> that 
that somehow does damage to things. It looks like that Pokemon. Um, right. Uh, the, the clam. The angry clam. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, uh, cloister. Cloister. Okay. Yeah. Got it. But it's green so, and kind of turtly uh, or, or tortoisey, I should say. Um, but I should call it cloister. <laughs> You know, we at Behind the Bots don't like to speak ill, especially of bots that we've never seen in action. Um, but I have some, I have some thoughts. I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about uh, how this thing is going to inflate, and then what that will look like when it gets hit by other things. I, I invite Tardizoid to just come and prove us wrong, and. No, I want them to yeah. prove me right because I think they're going all the way. Oh, yeah, look to the Tortozoid chill. She supports them. Yeah, Team Eco Warriors all the way. Uh, if you want to go to their website, it's uh, advancednetwork.site slash bb1. You don't have to read that. You don't have to read this website <laughs> URL. We'll, we'll be here for 16 hours. <laughs> I love it. I love Tortozoid. Go Tortozoid. What is it? I don't even know. Go for it. It's going to be great. Isn't this the second bot that's got um, Kevlar as part of its armor package this year? That seems to be a new a new thing. Yeah, but this is the first right. one that inflates Kyle. Yeah, Aegis is just stretched stretched over a frame, whereas this is inflatable. The, the thing that I love about the rookies that appear at BattleBots every year is that they they usually try and push the envelope in one kind of extreme way. This is the first BattleBot that I've seen that uses kind of inflatable um, armor, which is interesting. Um, you know, like air armor is, is pretty pretty effective, you know, like... Uh, like Blowfish? Yeah, I guess, you know. Um, <laughs> But but I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna take the 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 other side of this and say that um, <laughs> this is a uh, this is a bottom ten bot, Lindsay. Okay, um, you're <laughs> out of your mind. <laughs> if if Cortezoid passes safety and we see it on television, um, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna be really surprised. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't normally like to be negative, but for some reason, I don't know, this idea of like balloon armor, it just doesn't seem uh, seem that practical. I'm just, I you know what, all, all joking aside, like I am kind of, one of the silver linings, I guess, of this season is that we do get to see some more um, like experimental bots that might not necessarily be accepted on like a quote unquote normal season. Um, so it's going to be entertaining at the very least to see what these builders have come up with and, you know, how these like unconventional out of this world, like ideas end up performing. I don't know. I think that there's something interesting in it. Yeah. Well said. On over to Bloodsports, where team captain Justin Marple announced his team's participation in the 2020 season in the most destructive way possible, destroying a poor defenseless printer slash a scanner combo and an empty parking lot. The team spot has been redesigned from the ground up in the off season. We are all really looking forward to seeing Bloodsport in the box this season. Filming of the 2020 season will run from October 2nd through the 15th in Long Beach, California. That's according to Copperhead teammate Robert Cowan, who sat down with new sponsor Avid CNC for a live interview this past week on YouTube. In this interview, he takes fans through improvements to the bot and confirms that Copperhead will indeed be competing on the show this year. 
The rest of the interview is really excellent. We'll include a link in this week's show notes. Speaking of filming, BattleBots recently published a 45-page guide to the season's health and safety guidelines. The document lays out in exhaustive detail what builders can expect this season. It's also a really interesting look into how the show gets made behind the scenes. I do want to call out a couple of interesting tidbits. First, BattleBots expects up to 466 people to be involved in this year's taping, including 260 bottlers. Chris Rose, Kenny Florian, and Farouk Tahid were listed in the roster and will be joined this season by an unnamed pit reporter and bot builder commentator. There will again be three judges and another 10 people who will make up something called the VIP reaction audience. The show will separate the 466 people they're expecting into 21 separate groups with people wearing wristbands showing which group they've been assigned to. The builders will have very little face-to-face interaction with one another and instead communicate with one another over Slack and with the crew over video monitors. Every member of the cast and crew will be required to take multiple tests for COVID-19, fill out daily health questionnaires, and get their temperatures scanned before stepping on set each day. Uh, This is such a fun little tidbit that I didn't know about before, but apparently the builders all get the option to sit down one-on-one for fight strategy discussions with BattleBots legend Pete Abramson, who began building combat robots in 1994, designed the BattleBots arena, sits on the selection committee, and helps inform Chris and Kenny's color commentary. This was such an interesting document. I really loved reading through it. Super, uh, super, <laughs> super, super, like uh, kind of intriguing look of behind the scenes. Uh, we'll include a link in this week's show notes. Really uh, recommend reading through it. Um, thoughts, thoughts on this guide? All right, so here's my thoughts on the guide. A, I think it's awesome that Pete Aberson uh, sits down and talks to all of the builders before they go out and fight. That's neat. I did not know that was a thing. But uh, what better person to talk to? I mean, he built the battle box, um, and he can give you good strategy, good good things to kind of go out there with that kind of coincides with what uh, Farouk and Chris are going to be saying in the commentary. Um, with so many four-wheel drive vertical spinners this year, I'm curious as to what he's going to have to say. Perhaps it's going to be a little less like, you know, you're fighting this type of bot and more like you're fighting this kind of driver type of suggestions. So um, maybe that'll be a bit more in depth. I, hmm. After hearing, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but at the Amazon event, they did an interview with him. And he was charming and interesting and had really cool things to say about the bots, the builders, um, as well as the battle box itself. I would love in this kind of, you know, new season where you get to try new things. If we could get a little bit more of him on TV, you know, it would be kind of cool to like see what these strategy sessions look like and make that part of the story of the show. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's, he's an intriguing figure. I mean, every time that we've talked to Greg and Trey, they've found a way to weave Pete in. It sounds like he has been an integral part of BattleBots ever since the very earliest seasons of the show. And, um, and yeah, like, continues to obviously hold a crucial, crucial kind of part of the, the production going forward. On over to the UK, where Nelly the Ellibot Captain Sarah Mollian was able to recover the 2019 version of her purple elephant-themed Bonkerbot after a former teammate listed it for sale online. As we've previously reported, Team Punch-Out will be skipping this season due to COVID-19. Let's travel now to Brazil, where the team behind 2019 Desperado Tournament winner Black Dragon is publishing a new coloring book that will include drawings of their robots and their mascot, Nanoduck. The new book will be available on the team's website starting next week. 
On over to New Zealand, where the team behind Endgame published a rendering of the redesigned 2020 version of their robot and invited fans to spot the differences between the new bot and the 2019 build. The biggest changes for 2020 include a new self-writing mechanism and a weapons chain guard. Sadly, the self-writing mechanism is uh, not shaped like sunglasses this year. It is uh, quite a bit more practical and a bit smaller. Um, Kyle, thoughts thoughts on this this new rendering from Endgame? Practical and a bit smaller seems to be a, a good descriptor for the entirety of this redesign. Mm. Um, it looks good. I think it looks a lot more competitive. I think it looks um, a lot more compact, a lot more concise. Uh, they've definitely saved some weight, um, which makes me wonder what they've changed about the internals that they needed that extra weight. Uh, I think I think this looks like a really competitive bot. Um, you know, it's not like they've haven't been impressive in the past, but I, I think that this is some good changes going forward. Totally. Slamo Captain Craig Danby recorded a series of Facebook Live videos this week where he revealed he plans to bring three complete chassis to the 2020 competition with 36 distinct configurations based on his opponents. And finally, this week's must-watch video comes from Scorpios Captains Zach Lytle and Diana Tarlson, who recorded a music video set to the Steven Universe song Giant Woman. In the video, which is absolutely delightful, Zach and Diana both play the ukulele and dance around in their garage as they stuff various objects into Scorpios. I am really hoping we can figure out a way to play the song on this week's show, um, which I guess would happen now. (laughs) (laughs) But if not, go to Facebook and check it out. Uh, And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Evan Bryce and Bill Woolley from Double Jeopardy. This week on the podcast, we have three very special guests, Evan Woolley, Bryce Woolley, and Bill Woolley from Team Double Jeopardy. The Woolley family entered the 2018 season of BattleBots with the first cannon robot ever, capable of shooting a single five-pound slug at their opponent at 190 miles per hour. They returned to the 2019 season with a robot that could shoot two shots, and rebuilt their machine again this season with a robot that can shoot three shots. Outside of BattleBots, Evan and Bryce both work as lawyers in Southern California. Evan is also a talented inventor of mixed drinks, having designed a series of cocktails named after famous BattleBots. We're looking forward to getting into all things Double Jeopardy in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Evan, Bryce, and Bill. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. We are so excited to have you. We're such huge fans of Double Jeopardy and really love the design, really love the the, the team aesthetic, and really stoked to uh, to learn more about your bot in this hour. So um, because I'm, I'm really terrible at introductions and uh, you know one another quite, quite a bit more than, uh, than, than we know you, I'd love to, to go kind of round robin and have you introduce one another. Um, so maybe Evan, you can introduce Bryce. Bryce, you can introduce Bill. Bill, you can introduce Evan. Um, kind of tell us a little bit more about uh, each of your team members. Sure, that would be great. So uh, this is Evan Woolley speaking, uh, the captain of Team Double Jeopardy. Uh, well, Team Double Trouble. Uh, the robot is Double Jeopardy. And I am pleased to introduce uh, my identical twin brother, Bryce Woolley. Um, he is the co-captain of the team along with me and uh, the trigger man for Double Jeopardy. So every time you have seen the cannon fire on BattleBots, uh, that is Bryce. And he is not only the, the trigger man, but he's also the eagle eye uh, for it as well. Uh, one of the upgrades we'll uh, tell you a little bit about later is improving our aim. Uh, but 
uh, up until now, uh, our aim has been my my brother Bryce. And so every shot that we've made uh, is is all due to him. Uh, he is a law professor in Southern California at Southwestern uh, Law School. And he has uh, made some great contributions uh, to the design of Double Jeopardy, including uh, being the, uh, the main designer for our reloading mechanism. Awesome. Great. Thank you very much for that lovely introduction. Uh, this is Bryce Woolley, and I'll go ahead and introduce uh, Bill Woolley, uh, who's our dad and has okay. been a great mentor throughout the years that we've been doing combat robotics uh, and is really a wizard when it comes to the electronics and uh, the assembly of the robots. And uh, thank you very much. This is Bill Woolley. And uh, it's kind of funny. I never thought that we'd actually get into robotics because I'm, I'm a car guy. And I've been in the automotive racing engine business for 30 years prior to getting into small aerospace. And always a car guy. So I had two old Mustangs ready to go. Figuring out when the, uh, when the guys got old enough, I, I was just going to give them to them. Say, here, have some cars. You can build them up and they're yours. Uh, they said, Dad, we, we don't like cars. We want to build robots. So uh, we got involved in robots. And we started doing that when they were still in middle school. Back, uh, our first competition was in 2001. And so uh, it's been uh, a lot of fun the whole time. And now I'll introduce our team captain, Evan. You, can, you kind of heard him at the beginning. Uh, indeed, our team captain, he is a uh, intellectual property trademark patent lawyer at uh, also a, a law firm <laughs> in Southern California. How's that? Not bad. Huh? That works. A little bit right in there, and uh, he's what keeps the team going. That's so great, and I I love that it's a family team. I love that um, that it's something that that you can do as as a group. Um, there's so many great great family teams and BattleBots, um, and it's yeah it's 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 really great that uh, that you have a hobby that that you can kind of work on together. Um, I I'd love to uh, to understand. I mean, it's it's so interesting that you're both identical twins, um, Evan and Bryce, and you both went into the same field. Like, how did that happen? Like, uh, you know, um, can you can you like take us through the decision? I guess um, on your your parts to to both get into law. Yeah, sure. And I guess well, it was really Bryce that brought us both to law uh, when we started out. Of course, as my dad had mentioned. Um, we started doing the whole robot thing in middle school uh, because we were inspired by watching BattleBots on TV back in the Comedy Central days. And we thought that looks really cool. Uh, we want to try that. Uh, that inspired me. I did uh, mechanical engineering uh, for my undergrad. Um, Bryce went a different route. He went uh, sociology and law and society and psychology. Uh, and psychology. Um, yep. Making me look bad. Uh, and then after that is when uh, he paved the way uh, to law school, and I just uh, followed him. If you want to tell him what inspired you to do that. Oh, yeah. Well, I was all about the social sciences uh, in undergrad, uh, double major in sociology and law and society and minor in psychology. Um, so law school was kind of always an idea in the back of my mind. Um, then I, I completed my degree program in uh, three years, so I went straight to law school after college. And I like to think that I inspired Evan to follow me. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yep. The idea there being that um, I graduated uh, undergrad in 2009 and the economy was not great right then. So nobody was really hiring. I was looking for more stuff to do, thought about going back for a master's degree or a PhD. And Bryce had let me know, hey, they love people with technical backgrounds uh, for patent litigation, for patent law. And so I looked into it. 
uh, seemed like a, a pretty good fit. And uh, the rest is history. And that's why we have, uh, you know, a plethora of lawyer puns in the world of combat robotics now. <laughs> yeah um yeah it's it's like you 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 just they the, they they write themselves you know for uh for farouk's introductions um it's, oh yeah it's pretty great um bill i i'd love to hear more about about auto racing and um and aerospace can you tell us more about that like when when did you first get involved and like what form does does that take well the uh the auto racing thing just kind of turned from a hobby into a, a vocation which is the best way to do it uh, back quite a number of years ago and uh, did that for quite a while. But then all of racing is based on advertiser dollars. And so in 2008, uh, again, as you know, the economy was in uh, not the ideal situation. And so uh, advertiser dollars pulled out of one of the major forms of racing. So all of a sudden found ourselves, uh, you know, needing work. And some other people I worked with uh, looked at a company close by, a small aerospace startup that had been just kind of going for a few years. And so quite a few of us went there. And so I ended up getting into that field because uh, what I am professionally is a uh, environmental health and safety manager. And so it's kind of interesting having the only robot that can kill you at a distance milked by two lawyers and a safety guy. <laughs> um, you know, why not? Uh, and so then... Uh, I've just been in small aerospace and uh, three, uh, a couple different companies for the last uh, 12 and a half years. Uh, but my passion is still uh, automotive. And, uh, you know, when I'm not working on the robot, I'm definitely uh, working on the cars. So, you know, but from that, though, you get you get a lot of thinking on your feet having to work on cars, because especially back in the day, it was the only way I had, had to get around. And so if it broke, you had to fix it. So uh, that's helped a lot in being able to just think. Uh, in mechanical terms, which helps a lot with uh, building a robot. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to explore that. So, is the skill set like is is it something that you can bring over? You know, like from large large scale kind of race cars to tiny electric, uh, you know, ro remote controlled cars. Like, are there are, are there skills? Or is there kind of like um, is is it is it transferable? Well, I I think a lot of it in my case at least I'm self-taught in everything I've done, uh, whether or not being a, a machinist way back in the day, which has helped out a lot with doing uh, the robot stuff, uh, getting into you know engine building, which is you know, just precise assembly, doing into the, all the electronics for whether it be racing engines, race cars, and now robots. And a lot of it, it just, if you just have a mind that you like to solve problems, and that's basically what BattleBots is all about. It's just all of us solving problems different ways and it's quite fun to do it uh to see the different ways people try to solve the same problem evan i'd, I'd love to understand more about uh the the battlebots cocktails um when did this start how did this start um do you have a favorite battlebots cocktail that you've uh, you've come up with so far yeah so i think um we had uh as i had mentioned before we were in the combat robotics scene for a while um in the early aughts uh, then kind of went dormant uh, for a bit during law school and whatnot. And then we all got very excited when we first heard that BattleBots was returning um, on ABC in 2015. Um, we, we had, at, at that moment is when we had started thinking of new designs because we knew we wanted to, uh, to make it to BattleBots. It was really a childhood dream of ours uh, to make it to BattleBots, the previous competitions that we had done. 
or different non-televised uh, regional competitions. And so BattleBots, right, is the big show. It's where we wanted to be. So as soon as it came back in 2015, we were we were thinking of, of design ideas. Um, 2015 was a very was a much smaller kind of invitation only tournament, and they only had opened up. Uh, the application process in 2016. And so 2016 was the first time that we had pitched um, the Canon robot idea. Uh, alas, uh, they thought it was too dangerous. They did not want us to kill anybody. Uh, so they slightly declined uh, Double Jeopardy being a part of it there. They were interested in the design. We were working on prototyping. We, we thought, well, if we prove to them that we won't kill somebody, then maybe they'll let us in. So by 2016, you know, we were working on prototypes. We were refining the design. Uh, we were excited to make it back onto BattleBots. And so when the show premiered um, later in 2016, on a whim uh, for fun, I thought, oh, it would be kind of fun just to do like a themed cocktail uh, based on a, a BattleBot as, as a little, you know, just a little lark uh, for when the, the show came back. And I, I made it. And I posted it, and the very the very first robot cocktail was a death roll. Um, and as you can see from the Instagram post, I have you know much since refined the aesthetic. I, I need to do a, a newer version of the death roll to to do right by that amazing robot. But I wanted to do a robot that was in the first episode, and so that's what I did, and it was fun and was well received, and was a pretty good drink overall. So then I just kept doing it, and now I think I've done almost 200 robot cocktails. It's amazing. That's amazing. Is there is there one that, that you revisit? You know, is there one that, uh, that you enjoy drinking? Um, you know, uh, now many years later, uh, one that I do return to quite often that I do enjoy is the Lockjaw because it's so simple. Uh, it's a take on a rusty nail, um, and it's drambuie, and instead of scotch, it's drambuie and absinthe to get a little bit of the green color in there. Um, it's a nice, simple cocktail. It's got a good flavor to it. Uh, so that's one that I return to quite a lot. The the most well-received um, uh, uh, of the robot cocktails that I've done were actually two non-BattleBot cocktails. There was a, uh, a RoboGames cocktail, the Mega Melvin, which that robot cool. is actually the predecessor of the BattleBot Shatter, is a fantastic drink with guava juice um, involved. And then the, the Apex. Uh, is also a fantastic drink, a Robot Wars-inspired drink uh, by one of the builders, uh, Craig Danby, uh, that's been a big part of BattleBots as well. So those are uh, two of the absolute best, are the Mega Melvin and the Apex, uh, are some of the absolute best robot cocktails. Uh, the Lockjaw is a favorite of mine, and one that turned out way better than it had any right to be uh, was the Gemini, um, because I've never, I never thought I would ever make anything that actually tasted good with Campari and black Sambuca, and yet somehow <laughs> I pulled it off. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's awesome. We're 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 gonna we're gonna have to try those those two, the uh, the Mega Melvin and the Apex, um, and uh, and yeah, maybe maybe we'll uh, we'll take take photos of our, our creation because uh, uh, those those both sound pretty intriguing. Fantastic. All right, fellas. So let's go back to the uh, 2018. Double Jeopardy, you guys uh, had quite the process of getting that thing approved. You kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, so let's go to our very first fan question, which is from Graham Grizz Glover III, who asks, what made you guys come up with the idea for a Canon robot in the first place? 
Sure. So as I kind of mentioned before, as soon as BattleBots came back in 2015 is when we were excited to be a part of it. And I don't recall if for the 2015 season, if they had released the rule set or if we had first gotten our hands on it. Um, I think, uh, for in the advance of the 2016 season. Um, and, and we had all come up with different ideas for the, the robots that we wanted to do. Bryce had come up with uh, some multi-bot ideas. Uh, Dad had come up with, uh, we call it the dad bot. It had like a lot of different mechanisms. It was very complicated. Um, but uh, I was the one that was the first one to come up with the, uh, the canon idea because we saw that in the 2016 rule set, I believe it was, it was the very first time that combat robotics had ever allowed untethered projectiles. Um, and as soon as we saw that, that's what we thought we had to do because of course, at this point, right, we had been you know, on a hiatus from combat robotics for 13 years. Uh, we had last competed in Bot Bash 2003, uh, we took second place with our 60-pound robot. Uh, first place was Donald Hudson, um, uh, the, the lockjaw builder with his uh, his 60-pounder propane. Uh, third place was Jason Bardis, now a judge on BattleBots. Uh, fourth place was uh, Zach Bieber, the builder of Razorback. Fifth place was Chuck Pitzer uh, of uh, Ghost Raptor fame. And so quite the stacked field. Uh, so we were pretty good back in the day, but we had been out of it for quite a while. And the robots had gotten so much scarier, um, yeah. let me tell you. And so we kind of had a sense that, well, if we try to do some sort of spinning robot or a horizontal spinner like our 60-pounder troublemaker uh, was, we, we just think, you know, there's a lot of robots out there that are like that. If we wanted to maximize our chances of getting into BattleBots, we thought the best way to do that was to pitch something truly unique um, that had never been done before. Um, and that's been a motivator, too. If you see in the forum, people will say, oh, there's certain classes of weapons. You got your your vertical spinners, your horizontal spinners, your discs, your drums, your drisks, your flippers, your grapplers, you know, and they're like, that's it. You know, everything has been done. There are no new weapon types in BattleBots. Like, it just, it can't be done. And we thought, well, no, it totally can be done. And we thought if we could do it, that's how we would get in. Uh, nice job slipping Drisk in there, by the way. I'm very impressed. Um, so I wanted you to kind of go through that build process slash that kind of getting it past process. Um, did you guys kind of start with the cannon and then move out from there? I mean, what was the 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 keystone, I guess, of this design? Where did you guys start? That is exactly right. The keystone is the cannon. Uh, Double Jeopardy has always been built around the cannon, and it's kind of driven some design choices that are maybe not ideal as far as combat robotics go. The robot itself is extremely large. Um, it's one of the largest footprint uh, battle bots there. Is. Of course, you have like huge and mammoth, but uh, they're a bit skeletal. Uh, the other robot that's kind of a similar footprint is actually Bronco, which is very, very large when you see it in person. But Double Jeopardy is very, very large because the whole thing is built around the cannon and so that was the very beginning of the design is when we first thought we want to build a cannon the the number one consideration um was because we knew that these battle bots are super heavily armored they're armored in tank armor right the ar-500 wear plate it's tanks and dump yep. trucks is what is what they use this stuff on and we thought the only way to to make a cannon a feasible weapon 
and we we think it's feasible. We think it's it can be a competitive weapon. It is not just a novelty. We knew at the beginning the best way to do that to prove that we could win matches with the cannon was to make the single strongest shots that we possibly could. So that was kind of the design ethos for Double Jeopardy 2018 because we wanted to prove that a cannon could do damage. So we set out to make the single strongest shot that we could because multiple shots, the slugs have to be lighter. You're going to be losing pressure most likely, or it has to be lower pressure. So we thought that the best way to maximize the power of the weapon was to go for a single shot. So that's where the design started is how do we make a cannon that has the strongest single shot. Um, and I think it was actually my dad that had come up with the, the basically the trident design of the cannon uh, that you see. Um, and then the other kind of major uh, design decision was uh, how do you maximize the power of a cannon? It's to maximize the flow. And so we needed the largest valve that we could to open and close. And so it's a two-inch valve. The, the cannon, uh, the cannon tubing itself is two and a half inch. Uh, and so we needed the largest valve to allow the largest flow. And then, how do you open it? And that took us years to figure out. <laughs> That's um, yeah, that is quite a design challenge. Wow. Um, all right. So you got the cannon working. You got the bot into BattleBots. You have now successfully done matches in 2018 and 2019. Tell us some of your favorite moments so far from those two seasons. Uh, this is Bryce. I would say uh, my favorite moment is uh, when we won. <laughs> and we, we got our token. But it, the whole the whole experience is a lot of fun uh, doing battle bots, even though all of our bots, uh, the builders bots are trying to destroy each other. There's a great camaraderie amongst all the builders so it's it's exhausting uh but it's a really fun satisfying experience so i would say just the experience overall is one of the highlights and then our um epic win <laughs> yeah and, and for those that don't recall the epic win was from 2019 um uh, last season it was a rumble match because they just love putting the cannon in rumble um <laughs> they, they like give it sucks, i guess and it was against uh daisy cutter and foxtrot and we actually won that by a double knockout uh, so that was pretty thrilling. And so with Double Jeopardy in 2019, having one win and two losses, uh, we had a, a better record than some of the, some of the heavy hitters uh, that you normally think of. So that was definitely a highlight. Uh, one of my main highlights was, was probably from the 2018 season uh, was our second match against Mecha Rampage. Because that's the, for one, Mecha Rampage is Christian Carlberg. He's one of the builders that inspired us to get into BattleBots in the first place. He is a fantastic builder. Uh, Mecha Rampage is a really interesting robot with this very large, you know, horizontal bar spinner. Um, the very wide set wheels that gives it a lot of stability, actually. But the reason why that was a highlight is because I think it's the most kind of spectacular example of the damage potential of a cannon. Um, we had fired the shot from across the battle box and we shattered his weapon. Um, there's good pictures of it that you can find that we posted um, on, on the Double Jeopardy page and on Facebook. And the weapon was, what, an inch, inch and a half thick? I think, I think inch thick S7. Inch thick S7. Uh, so not 
like a trifling amount of metal and we shattered it uh, with the slug. It was an amazing shot that Bryce had made. Um, unfortunately, we lost the match because even though the, the weapon was completely unbalanced because of the design of Mecha Rampage uh, that kept the robot from flying around, he was able to cut into us a few times and knock us out. But I think that's just a fantastic example of the damage potential um, of the cannon. That was 2018, and the cannon just keeps getting better and better. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that that is actually my favorite match from you guys as well. That was a lot of fun to watch. And watching Mecha Rampage just kind of stumble around the box after that hit was uh, was really impressive. Um, and then seeing, because you couldn't tell when you're watching the show what had actually happened to him. You didn't actually see until, uh, you know, kind of like after the fact when they were showing the the robots kind of damaged uh, what had happened. And you were like, oh, my goodness, did, I, did that break because of the slug? And then you guys kind of confirmed it with the photos afterwards, which was great. Um, all right. So let's go into 2020 Double Jeopardy. I know you guys have been working hard. I know you guys are coming up with some multi-shot ideas. I know you guys have got a new aiming idea. So let's let's talk about what you're going to be doing in the potential uh, 2020 season. Now, first of all, are you guys going to compete? That that is the plan. We are we are planning to compete in 2020. Yes, fantastic! Breaking news. We got Double Jeopardy competing in 2020. That's very exciting. Um, so tell us about some of the improvements and uh, some of the some of the new things that you've got this season. Sure. So we, we can each kind of take one, but uh, uh, maybe I'll start with the one that I'm really excited about. It, it's changing the appearance of the robot a little bit. One of the challenges that we had in 2019 in particular um, is just with the size of the robot, the cannon was pretty was pretty high set. And there's a lot of short robots out there. You know, the multi yeah. they that's the horsemen to shoot. <laughs> They're very small targets. Um, and a lot of the robots have a very, very low profile. Tantrum is super low profile. Um, yeah. a, a lot of robots are very low profile. So an, a, a, a priority this season was lowering the cannon. And the challenge and the reason why the cannon was so high set in 2018 is because, uh, or 2019, we had a new valve actuation mechanism in 2019 versus 2018. 2018, we had a very strange kind of spring steel torsion spring setup, which it worked. And all that one had to do was open the valve once and it did it. And it was because it's just torsion, uh, torsion spring that's made out of strips of spring steel, it was a pretty compact mechanism, at least as far as the, you know, the vertical dimension. Uh, the, the new mechanism that we used in 2019, we're using again in 2020, is a great device uh, called a rotary vein actuator from our main sponsor, uh, Kinetrol. And what this does is it opens and closes valves, and it does it um, with a, a pneumatic vein, essentially, is what's inside this cool kind of yellow uh, casing. Um, and it uses uh, some uh, pneumatics. It uses uh, the pressurized air to push this vein back and forth to give yourself 90-degree uh, turns to open and close the valve. And it's great. It has, because it's a ton of torque. It takes a ton of torque to open a two-inch ball valve we want to be able to open it at 
3,000 PSI plus, which is you're allowed to carry up to 3,000 PSI um, in a pneumatic bot. So we want to be able to open our valve at 3,000 PSI. And that is difficult. That is a ton of torque. It's about 100, it's over 100 foot pounds of torque uh, to open that large valve at that pressure. So the Kinetrol is a, is a solution that we're really pleased with, and it's an amazing device uh, that they have. It works so well. But the device itself, the rotary vein actuator, is pretty tall. In Double Jeopardy 2019, we had that sitting under the cannon. So that's what drove the height of the robot, is we had to have this clearance for the rotary vein actuator between the floor and the cannon. And so the robot was so tall, that's a, a, an improvement that I'm really excited about for 2020 is that we're actually flipping the cannon upside down. The Kinetrol is going to be sitting on top, which I'm excited about. It's a really cool device. It's going to highlight this kind of core of the cannon a lot better. Um, and it's gonna, going to enable us to drop the cannon a lot. And so now the only thing that needs to fit the, the, the driver for the height between the floor and the cannon um, are the motor gearboxes essentially are the only things that we have to fit. So we're going to be able to lower the cannon um, and be able to hit all the shorty robots out there. Uh, and that also actually feeds in and, and helps with some of the other improvements, uh, such as our additional shots um, and things like that. And so that's one I'm really excited about. And I'm sure Bryce has some other aspects of the design that he's excited about as well. Yeah, so uh, as Evan mentioned uh, during the intros, uh, I'm the trigger man for Double Jeopardy, uh, which is a lot of pressure, pun intended. And it's, it's challenging in the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle, to really line up the shot accurately and know the right time to fire the cannon. So one of the improvements that I'm really looking forward to is that we're going to have a camera-assisted aiming mechanism. Um, so I'll actually get a, a robot's eye view, so to speak, uh, of where the cannon is facing. and uh, that should uh, hopefully make uh, taking the shots and, and landing the shots a little bit less stressful. So I'm really excited about that. And then do you have a... Yeah, the, uh, the part that, I'm, that I had fun coming up with was the, the ability to shoot the three different shots this year. Uh, we initially based it on three balls, whereas in the past we've used one slug. Yep. And uh, so now what we're going to do, we had one slug, first year one slug and a ball last year and we're thinking about uh doing either three balls this year or a ball or two balls and one slug but the original design of the reloader uh based on three balls designed it to where on the top of the barrel itself at the very base right next to the valve uh, have an angle coming up about 45 degree angle and set it to where uh drew it up to where the balls when they're sitting in there uh, the one ball will be in the chamber, if you will. Uh, the second ball actually slightly sits in front of the first one, so it holds it in place. And the third shot is on top of that. And so what it will do when it fires, it will actually shove the second ball up slightly while the first one fires. It fires so quickly with that Kinetrol opening and shutting so very rapidly that it's already shut by the time the second ball then falls back into place. And it then is held in place by the third ball, holding it in place, so it's not going to go anywhere. And then the uh, then that will fire, and then the third ball will go after that. Did we lose it? No, we're good. Okay. And so yeah, you're all uh, good. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, the thing changed a little bit. And so uh, so that was the, the design for that. But then it's looking like we're also going to have the ability to run 
the slug, the five pound slug for the first shot, and then uh, the two balls for this uh, shots behind that. So it'll give us some uh, versatility, which is uh, quite fun. It should be, it, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be uh, exciting. Now you guys had yeah. a video up where you were showing this mechanism and how it works. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that was, uh, I was really impressed with that. It's just such a simple idea that makes, it's just using the angle of the balls to your advantage, which I think is really, really smart. Um, so the camera assisted aiming, I want to go back to that real quick. So you're going to have a camera essentially mounted next to the cannon or like on top of the cannon. Where, whereabouts is it going to be in relation to the actual barrel? Yeah, so it will be on the front of the robot, obviously, and uh, the plan is that it's going to uh, be immediately under the barrel. Uh, again, the idea being we want the camera as close to the barrel as possible, so the aiming is going to be accurate. Nice. That's going to be so much fun. Um, is there any chance that we'll be able to get that footage edited into the show? That's the plan. That, that is the plan. Uh, we hope that they, they want to use the, the robot's eye view. Because uh, have you seen in, in the past, they've done some of the 360 cameras. They've been a little, you know, a little inconsistent with, with using that. And it's yep. true. It's because a lot of robots are not really well suited to sticking a camera on them when it's not really supposed to be there or was intended to be there. So we do hope that with a robot that is designed to have a cannon that is, or to have a camera that's an integral part um, of the, the design itself, we're hoping that should lead to some, uh, some good TV. And it's also inside a, a it's, it's secure inside the robot, so it's not going to get harmed by anything out there. And we're making sure that uh, we put enough stuff in place to, uh, to keep it safe. That was going to be my next question. Um, yep. That made perfect sense. I'm really excited to hopefully get some camera eye view of Double Jeopardy in the 2020 season. That's going to be great. It'll be cool. Um, well, all right. So let's go into some of our listener questions. We had a lot of listener questions. Uh, people really love your robot and really love your team. Um, so we'll start with Malice Captain Bunny Soriel, who asks, which robot do you think you're most suited to fight? I would, uh, this is Bryce, I think that we're suited to fight um, any of them, all of them, uh, especially with the one of the upgrades that Evan mentioned earlier, being able to lower the cannon. Uh, now that even the really tiny uh, low clearance robots like the Four Horsemen, uh, we are going to be able to hit without the concern that, oh, is the, the slug just going to go over them? Uh, of course, it's fun if we, there's really big ones, like one of our uh, first matches uh, was against Gamma 9, and it's always nice to have a big target, but I would say that we do. <laughs> To go against any of them, including including Malice, which I believe is uh, Bunny's new robot. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. one thing that we're excited about with Double Jeopardy is we think that we we uh, a, a lot of people talk about combat robotics, right, as being kind of a rock paper scissors type deal, uh, where you have you know your defensive robots that are the lifters and the grapplers, um, the offensive robots that are the spinners, um, and uh, you know I guess I'm. Those are kind of the two main camps yeah. that you have, or the control robots, the tanks, and the and the offense. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting to see how a cannon could fit into that, because I think we've demonstrated uh, that a cannon can be effective against any uh, type of opponent. Uh, I'm really excited about going up against, in particular, horizontal spinners. I think we're very well suited to that. 
uh, because it's a if we can hit the the weapon and break it, that's a huge advantage. Um, we haven't had the opportunity to test it in battle. I think we do the same thing against the vertical spinner. I think we could break a, a lot of the vertical uh, spinner discs. Um, actually, one example was in the daisy cutter match. Um, they had a, a very pretty, a, a kind of a small uh, vertical spinner. And again, it's something that you had mentioned kind of with the Mecha Rampage match. One of the difficulties that we've had to deal with as a cannon robot is people don't really know what they're looking at. Um, and I get it. It happened so fast. Uh, the same thing actually happened in that daisy cutter match um, is we had hit daisy cutter on one of the brackets on the front of the robot that held the shaft uh, for their vertical spinner. And it bent the bracket. It seized the shaft. The weapon no longer worked after we hit them. And so we think for any sort of robot with a spinning weapon, even when we don't have a direct hit on the disc or the bar itself, we have a very good chance of gumming up uh, their mechanism by denting it. And, and, you know, you can see that in a lot of different matches. These are precision machines, of course, and especially with the, the spinning weapon, if, if it gets bent or tweaked, you can totally seize up the weapon um, and disable it that way. So we think that uh, there's a lot, of, you know, we do think that there's a lot of exciting matchups uh, for Double Jeopardy. Um, of course, ah, can you imagine how spectacular that would be breaking Tombstone's bar? Uh, like that would be quite the, uh, you know, the exciting sequel to our Mecha Rampage match. There you go. I like it. Um, that would be amazing. So, man, I was just thinking about something, Bryce, that, uh, so all this time you have been essentially having to mentally put yourself inside of the robot to aim this thing. Um, yes, and a lot harder than it sounds especially with the the positioning of the team um and with you know the robots flying around the arena it's difficult to get in the right position and yeah you're standing in one place on one wall facing into the box and your robots facing all over the place and because they always put you against 17 opponents at the same time it sounds it seems like and uh so you've got to figure out and do those calculations and do those trajectories from that position even though all of the variables are constantly changing, man, that onboard camera really is going to change things for you. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Yep, um, sorry, I just had that thought. I wanted to share. That's really great that you guys have that system coming on. Um, so our next question is from Sporkanak Captain Lulaspect, who asks, if robots were subject to human laws, how many charges would Tombstone face? <laughs> Uh, Tombstone would face uh, quite a few charges, uh, most likely for damaging the floor of the battle box. (laughs) (laughs) Property damage charges alone. That's really good. So similarly, we have a related question from Rob Pascal, who asks, hypothetically speaking, if your robot could commit a crime, which crime would it commit? Zola Zephyr's pretty dangerous, so probably murder. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's one of the that's been one of the challenges uh, with the robot is and, and and you know and and that's one thing that we we are really appreciative of the BattleBot folks uh, with in particular is that we have a uniquely dangerous robot. Um, you know, people are very good about safety at these events um, with you know keeping the batteries outside and and doing the the testing in the test boxes and being very uh, vigilant about that sort of thing and also weapon restraints and, and the whole process for how you bring the robots into the box. 
the, the thing is with the cannon, that's different because if, if you got the weapon restraint or whatever on a spinning robot, or even if it broke free of the restraint, if you're not in the immediate vicinity, you're probably going to be okay. Whereas double jeopardy, you know, that slug can go for hundreds and hundreds of feet. Um, and, and so it's, we've been very appreciative that the, the BattleBots event folks have been willing to work with us um, on bringing such a uniquely challenging robot uh, to a live event. And so they've been great um, with uh, making sure that everything stays safe and uh, with, uh, you know, working with us on that, even though, and then that's why we load the robot in the battle box. We don't pressure up the cannon Ever. until we're in there because uh, it's really scary. And you don't, uh, do it while the other team is in the box, from what I from what I recall yeah. as well, right? Whew. Yeah, that's a whole other level that you've got to go through there. Um, all right, so I have a silly question from Curtis Warner from Hack and Slash. Um, he asks, any objections to calling the next revision Final Jeopardy and responding to all interviewers in the form of a question? Well, I mean, we think there might be some trademark infringement there for one thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. That's that's a fair response to that. Um, all right, so we've got a three-part question from Nelly the Ellibot weapons operator, Rara Granger, who asks, first, would Double Jeopardy work as a defense in the impending zombie apocalypse? Uh, I think... If we aimed it right, and if the zombie horde is coming for us, that it can probably take out quite a few zombies with just one shot. Good thing we have three coming up. <laughs> um, wow, that that sounds like a computer-generated image that I need to see sometime uh, soon. Um, all right, so second, she asks, if I can whap a cannonball out of the air with Nellie's mace when we finally fight, what do I win? Probably the match, <laughs> yeah. Or I think uh, your prize would be a broken mace because I, I don't know that it would survive a, a direct hit from Double Jeopardy. I was about to say, I think that really what they have is a broken broken bonker at that point. Um, and then finally, as a fan of classy cocktails, how much of Double Jeopardy was designed sober? Most of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair question. Uh, so speaking of team, uh, so speaking of team punch ant Nelly the Ellibot, we have a two-part question from uh, Nelly the Ellibot captain Sarah Mullion, who asks, "When the cannon fires, is it a boom, pow, or a kablam?" I think a boom, boom, and it's it's kind of hard to tell on um, the TV show, uh, but when it fires, it is extraordinarily loud. Yeah, it is. We've only had the cops called on us once when we've been testing the robot. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's very loud. Um, so the next question is, when it hits its target, is it a donk, a splat, or a wallop? P.S. Sorry for all the technical jargon. <laughs> I think uh, I would say it's most likely a wallop. Yeah, wallop. <laughs> yeah, wallop. I like that. Um, all right, so we have a fan question from Richard Sum, who asks, even with three shots now, the bot is going to eventually run out of shots. What are your plans this season and in the future to make a more competitive bot once the ammo has run dry? 
just need to make the three shots count, then it won't matter. That's a fair answer. Yeah, and that, that's the plan. Is that, and I know uh, I, I and I don't mean to preempt the uh, other questions that you might have, but I, I know that one thing that we get asked about a lot is, oh, have you considered a secondary weapon or or make your front scoop closer to the ground so you can be a wedge? And it is it is not meant to be a wedge. It is just a slope surface to look kind of cool um, and, and to let the cannon kind of extend. Uh, it's not a wedge. Uh, we we've never made a wedge. Uh, we don't want to make a wedge. And it it is a it is a cannon robot. And you know if uh, if the the way to make it more competitive after running out of shots is giving it more shots every year. Um, and, and exactly as my dad said, making those count because that's the that's what we came here to do. We came here to make cannon. Yeah, and I I want to just add to that. Um, with double jeopardy, it's a lot easier to see like oh, but when you're but when you run out of uh, slugs or bullets, like what are you gonna do? Uh, how can you function? A lot of the other robots, sometimes their weapons don't work at all. Uh, sometimes their weapons get broken. So it's, yep. it's pretty much the same robot, is that their, their weapon might go out any time during the match. Yeah, so I think not that even- uh, you guys get asked that because your weapon, or your, your bot is designed with a limited like amount of shots it can take, whereas a spinner, theoretically, if everything's working, can just keep hitting. Yeah, right. Though, though I mean... It's very rare for a spinner to last a whole match. Um, and yeah. so that's what is that, you know, yeah. our, our shots have gone off. Like the cannon has worked in every single match and not a lot of robots can actually say that about their weapon. Um, all right. So now we have, uh, I guess, kind of a safety question. It's a two-part question from Clepton Gilroy who asks about the cannonball's top speed. We'll call it the slug. Everybody keeps calling it a cannonball. We're not quite to balls yet. We've only really seen slugs. Um, so the show had previously said your top speed on the slugs was 190 miles per hour. So why only 190 miles per hour? Is that where BattleBots determined it was safe enough? Um, I know you still got plenty of power left on the table. So what's with the limitation at 190? Yeah, and so uh, th- th- that's pretty much it. Is that we have to, you know, work with the event organizers and and do what they're comfortable with. Uh, because for the a pneumatic robot, three thousand psi is the maximum uh, pressure that you can run in the robot. So of course we've designed the cannon to work at three thousand psi. And in fact, uh, the cannon, since we've done custom welded cannons the past couple of years, um, it's it's been hydro tested to six thousand psi. Um, I would. Very terrified if we shot our slug at 6,000 PSI, it would probably go like, I don't know, five or 600 miles an hour. If we shot the five pound slug at 3,000 PSI, I think we would hit over 300 miles an hour. I think it would be about 400 miles an hour, um, particularly with the new cannon that has the very quick uh, valve actuation. Um, the, the problem, the, the, the balancing act there, of course, is when you have a lighter slug and when our actually very initial design of Double Jeopardy was with a 20 pound slug. Um, so, uh, well, our very initial design was 20 pound. Our, our first cannon version um, was with an 11 pound slug, or we, we have a version of the cannon that can fire an 11 pound slug, which is terrifying. Um, but uh, the, the lighter the slug gets, the faster it goes. And so that's part of it, too, is we have to kind of balance the pressure with the tip speed. Um, and uh, we, we get well, we work with the with the event organizers, because, um, again, part of it, too, is, is you, you can't uh, damage the arena um, or you can't damage the arena too much. Of course, they're fighting robots. Stuff yeah. is going to get get damaged. 
but the the 190 miles an hour and or you know and whatever pressure uh, they happen to be comfortable with, that's what we end up running it at. And again, um, we're we're very pleased that they have not banned cannons yet because we keep expecting that to happen. Yeah, and, and just that uh, the operational pressure that we have, you can see that the robot's already very destructive. It can shatter weapons like it did with um, Mecha Rampage. And I think we crunched the numbers uh, once and. Um, based on the capacity of double jeopardy or if we basically did full power um it would be much more dangerous and i think what we operate now is what about 16 percent. yeah when it yeah capacity. or when when double jeopardy 2018 shattered mecha rampage's bar that was at 16 percent of its capacity <laughs> awesome um all right so his next question is uh if given the choice between higher pressure versus higher velocity uh, what would you choose? And then this is kind of the second part of that. Um, would you choose a pointed slug, if at all possible, at current speeds? Yeah. Or I can, uh, this is Bryce, I can take, since I'm the, the weapons guy, I can take that second question first. And suggestions that we get. Uh, one of the fun things about Double Jeopardy is being such a unique bot, a lot of people have ideas on how we can improve it or, or alternative designs. Um, and the, the, we made the decision to go with uh, the slug, um, which is you know a flat cylinder, uh, or the balls, because the concussive force is a lot more effective against these robots rather than a penetrating force that you get from uh, a pointed slug. Uh, again, yep. like we mentioned at the beginning of the call, um, these robots are basically armored like tanks. So even if we had a pointed slug, it's not going to penetrate the armor. Whereas if we have the flat slugs, um, we still have the ability to warp frames and shatter weapons. And then and uh, all that concussive force can knock loose wires, knock loose motor mounts, stuff like that. Yeah, and, and we, we demonstrated that it actually does exactly that. Our very first match uh, was a rumble against Gamma 9 and the Four Horsemen. Um, and that was the, you know, a wonderful historic moment in BattleBots, the very first time a cannon was fired in the box, and it went straight into Gamma 9's face. Um, and it didn't look like it did too much. It was the most heavily armored part of the robot. We got a very nice indentation of the screw head um, into the, 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 the face of the slug. But what it had actually done, and you can see, uh, Gamma 9's crusher does not operate uh, for the rest of the match, or I think there was a little residual pressure. Uh, the force was so significant that it actually dislodged the hydraulic line uh, within the robot also broke the welds on their frame. And so it popped the hydraulic lines and it all leaked out and the, the robot was no longer, the weapon was no longer functional. And so that's exactly the type of concussive force that we're going for um, is that, you know, popping hydraulic lines and things like that. That's amazing. I had no idea that that had happened. That's really cool. Um, all right. So finally, we like to close out our interviews with uh, questions from BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr, or MKC, as we have now shortened her to in all of our discussions about these questions. Um, so, do you ever get the urge to shout objection during a battle? Uh, yes, we do, especially after the judge's decision. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So for the non-lawyers uh, and non-law and order junkies like me, what does double jeopardy mean? Well, I can, uh, the law professor can take that one. So double jeopardy can come up in two different contexts. Uh, it's a doctrine in criminal law. 
the first one is that you can't be prosecuted twice for the same offense. And the second one is you can't be punished twice for the same offense. Uh, so the first one has to do with subsequent trials, and the second one has to do with uh, whether or not something is a lesser included offense. And, and the story behind that name is when we first uh, were pitching Double Jeopardy, the original name of the robot was Capital Punishment. Um, because, you know, we had to keep with the lawyer puns and all that. And, and that's the scariest thing in the legal world, I think, is capital punishment. Um, much scarier than, I don't know, expectation damages and breach of contract and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, my, my firm that I work at was a sponsor of the robot, and they were not comfortable with, you know, law firm, sponsor of capital punishment. And it, the optics weren't so good. And so we had to come up with a different name. And fortunately, Bryce came to the rescue uh, with the legal pun. The idea being that the first iteration of Double Jeopardy was a single shot because a second shot would have been unconstitutional. Oh, yeah. Another <laughs> another uh, fun story about uh, the names of our bots is that, um, as Eva mentioned, uh, when we started doing Double Jeopardy, we made a lot of different prototypes. And um, one of them, I think we called the, the PVC, which is a full-size PVC one. Uh, we called it um, LWP. Uh, lightweight prototype, which could also be life without parole. And then we have um, a very tiny one, which we sometimes bring and have fun with at the competition uh, that we call nominal damages because it, I think it just fires ping pong balls. It fires ping pong balls and it makes a little toot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right. So um, another question is aside from combat robotics and cocktails, what's your favorite thing to do as a family? I don't know. Well, see, that, that that's what we've always liked the most about the, the combat robotics is, you know, the events are fun, but the thing that's most fun is the build process, is getting together and, and doing the brainstorming and solving these problems and all out there in the garage, uh, building stuff. We're a lot different than a lot of teams. We don't have a lot of custom parts. We, we don't really do a lot of catting on the robot. It's all very much handmade. And so we're in the garage, like fighting out things on the floor uh, with squares and calipers and um, scribes and center punches and and actually you know getting our hands dirty and, and doing all of all of that work ourselves and doing it together and and that's the most fun part about the whole process um, and then yeah I don't know we like you know we always do family get-togethers around the holidays and things and that's always a nice opportunity to have some robot cocktail. <laughs> yeah, and like Evan said, uh, you consider Double Jeopardy in our handmade robot. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So our final question for you guys, if you had to represent any BattleBot who's had a controversial moment in the show or in combat robotics in general, which would it be and what would the charges be? Oh, well, I mean, of course, the most classic example of all time would be whether tornado cheated in robot wars but i don't know that's like a little a little too controversial of a case maybe for even us to touch um <laughs> yeah i think um you could because there's been some controversial matches in the past so maybe you could call the the charge being theft because someone was stolen from win of course, some of the people that come uh, to mind is, you know, Duck, there was a controversial decision. And then uh, most of the time that blackness goes to judge a decision. Yeah. And that's what we've experienced as well. And that's there's a very good reason why people tell you that stuff. And it applies equally to BattleBots as it does to real legal practice, I think, is, um, you know, don't don't bank on the judge's decision. <laughs> yeah. Make your case. Yeah. 
Yeah. So make your case either in the way it works out in a lot of, you know, real life litigations as you end up coming to a deal with the other side and you settle um, in the battle box. Of course, there is no settlement. You just have to beat them into submission and win. <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. We've had a lovely time talking to you. Um, it was really fun to learn about your team, learn about your robot and learn about the new improvements that you've got coming in 2020. And we are really, really excited to see you guys in the battle box again soon. We're excited to get back in there. Indeed. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we travel all the way to India, where researchers are building a robot that's designed to climb trees and cut down coconuts. The Amaran robot clamps around the base of the tree and uses mechanum wheels to climb into the canopy, where they use a saw blaze style articulated saw to cut down bunches of coconuts. The group says its coconut robot can be controlled via Bluetooth and a mobile app. Uh, and so this is this is pretty neat, but it, it makes me think of, again, the sloth bot that we covered a couple weeks ago. Why not do two in one? So you're talking about a robot that climbs a tree, but not in an efficient manner at all. It just takes like an hour to get up there before it starts <laughs> slowly cutting down coconuts. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who's in a rush to eat a coconut? You know, Good a point. coconut is like a, a leisurely thing that you, you know, you uh, take your time with. So just wait for the sloth bot to get up there and uh, get your coconuts. You think it puts like a little umbrella in them and a straw? Because that'd be pretty cool. I'd wait, I'd wait longer for that. <laughs> Very handy on Survivor, which is what we've been watching a lot of during this quarantine break. Because uh, they can never seem to get the coconuts out of the trees. Yeah. But I, I don't think Jeff Probst would uh, would probably allow uh, such technology on the island. Someone just needs to make a Jeff Probst robot. Isn't he already kind of a robot? Mm. Touche. <laughs> Jeff Probst is not a robot, and I'm very offended by this thought that he is one. <laughs> he is a man. He's in 17. <laughs> no one ever noticed. They replaced him with an android. Full, like, automaton wearing a Columbia uh, vacation shirt. So what they did is they went into one of the many closed down Chuck E. Cheese's and they grabbed one of the rats and they just redressed it. Yeah. And uh, it's been standing in for him for this entire time. Insane. Yeah. He lives in Fiji. Like, is he really going to take time out of his day to go shoot this show when he could just be on the beach? (laughs) He's got his coconut robot feeding him (laughs) coconuts all day. He's got a sloth robot getting him shots, cool shots of the coconut robot cutting the coconuts down. He's got, his, he's got his robot making him octopus balls. What a life. Man, who is this guy? Like I said, he's a, he's a Chuck E. Cheese anima, animatronic character redressed as Jeff Probst. God help us if he goes sentient. <laughs> That's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.